Welcome, 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 everybody, to our newest edition of Top Ends Talk. I'm your host, Tim Camaraz. We are in the Coach's Corner. This is going to be a new mini-series that we are doing in order to expand the game, to give people two cents on informed folks that are going to be our guests. And none other than I have one of the more informed people that I've ever met in my life. And Andy on the other side. Andy, say what's up to everybody. Let them know where they can reach you on Instagram. What's going on, guys? My name is Andy. I'm a soccer coach. I'm a physio and I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Um, happy to be here on the Coach's Corner with Coach Tim here. And yeah, you can find me on the Instagram at the football physios, football with a U. That's awesome. That's, and again, you know, the physio part is the, is the real important thing here because a lot of people are not realizing that uh, your body doesn't run forever. So you have to take care of it as best you can, as often as you can. And again, Andy, I cannot speak highly enough of all the work that you put on that Instagram page. I know a lot of people that can't afford for one reason or another to take care of themselves going to a proper physio and for you to be providing that free resource before we even got into it. I had to throw it out there that that is awesome work, man. So why don't you tell us more about what's going on in your life before we jump into the nitty gritty of things. Yeah, I appreciate the love, by the way. And um, part of the reason I started that page back in PT school was I was learning all this cool stuff about the human body, learning how to properly warm up, learning about the FIFA 11 plus and corrective and preventative exercise. And I was like, man, if I was a player right now, if I was a young player, this information is so good. But there's really nowhere to go that it's accessible and able for a player to not only read it, but understand it and be able to implement it. So that's kind of like my inspiration behind that page. And um, I started that page when I was in PT school at Duke. And uh, since then, I graduated and I moved back to New Jersey, hoping to get involved in the soccer scene around here. Um, before that, I went to Temple University, did my undergrad there in exercise science and uh, I was born and raised in New Jersey, so I'm happy to be back in my home state and ready to make some waves. So I have to tell you that usually we end up having guests from pretty much all over the globe. We've got folks that guested from Denmark, from Japan, from XYZ, and working with somebody in the same time zone just has so many underrated you know, benefits. That's <laughs> <laughs> no anybody else we work with. We love everyone, but... You know, it, it, it is something nice to be able to say, hey, you want to hop on at four o'clock? Yeah, OK, cool. Let's do that. So, you know, introductions aside here, again, this is Coach's Corner. The focus of this is to give folks something to take away with. So we are going to focus on essentially exercise science and how that factors into football culture nowadays. A little bit of fun fact for folks who are just listening in when it comes to this football science, none other than... Arsene Wenger in 1996 came into Arsenal where the traditional, I guess, practice flow, especially from a coaching perspective, way back when, was when you would end up focusing on lax warm-ups, not really anything crazy, no real stretching involved, and you'd kind of go into these long, arduous 
you know, tasks and warm-ups, and, and it wasn't really productive to what folks were trying to get out of there. And so Arson came in and really changed the game when it came to that in 96. He came in and he shifted that training from those lengthy playing drills into more emphasis on stretching, bringing in acupuncture, drills that were meant to focus on specific plyometric movements and science. So, Andy, why don't you go ahead and give me your two cents on why exercise science is essentially a crucial part of the game, and it has evolved as such ever since Arsenal won that league double, and or I'm sorry, that double in general in 2003. Yeah, so when you look at sports science as a, as a whole, um, it really kind of kicked off in the mid-90s, and I think Wenger was one of the first people to, to get on that train. Early on in the days of sports science, what the goal was is to collect as much information as possible and be able to apply that information to training sessions. And one of the first kind of statistics that was born out of the sports science age is total distance. And this is kind of where many clubs and, and youth organizations adopted the approach of, okay, we know that we can now measure the fact that a soccer player will run between six and 10 kilometers every game, right? So that's why we're going to go out and have them do long distance runs. Um, so as the age went from the mid nineties over to the early two thousands, we got more and more information. Now, when you have more information, you need to have more people to act on it, which is why Wenger was one of the first people to really grow his sports medicine staff. Um, I was listening to a podcast called the Halftime Oranges podcast, and they featured two of the physios that were on with Wenger early in his Arsenal career. And one of the things that he mentioned was when he first started out, there was only a physio. There was no strength and conditioning coach. There was no nutrition. There was none of that. It was head coach, assistant coach, physio. That's it. And as time went on, and especially as foreign players came into the game, it got more and more demanding and physically the stakes kept on increasing. And that's why they decided to really improve as a sports medicine department. Yeah. And, you know, actually speaking on diet as well, specifically and bringing in and kind of cultivating a whole team as opposed to one physio kind of focusing on your back staff, it really drew attention to their success because they went from saying, okay, it only matters when we're on practice and we're on the field. But Wenger took the approach where he said, you know, in England, people eat way too much sugar and red meat and they, and they don't take care of themselves physically. And, you know, and, that's, and that's a big problem. So he said, hey, we're going to bring in more vegetables, more, you know, more organic food and give these players something to work on outside of the pitch. So you know, how much do you believe that it's not only what you're doing exercise science in that two hour, two and a half hour training session, but more so what you're doing to your body outside of that window? Yeah, for sure. As a professional player, you are not playing for just 60 to 90 or 120 minutes. Your body is constantly on the clock 24 seven. And whether it be you playing on the field or you doing your recovery before or after training, um, you getting your eight hours of sleep, you getting your nutrition, getting your your lifestyle and your stress managed, that's all going to impact your performance on the field. And you can even look at it from the fact that what Vanger did was he he really took out a lot of what we would call red flags these days. So I'll give you an example, drinking a beer on the bus after a game. 
Like that was super common back in the nineties. Like, you know, (laughs) even Michael Jordan did it with the bulls and six time champions right there. So even doing things like that back then, that was considered a competitive advantage. Yeah. And, you know, actually kind of speaking to that for a second, when it comes to just kind of understanding that, you know, it is a full time job when you're a professional footballer. It's not just when you're at practice or on the field. And, you know, kind of the way you just said, it is also a really keen focus on what you're doing the rest of the time. What is in your experience? And actually, I I could also say in my experience, I would say we see a lot of young players making mistakes and when i say young players i don't mean your your u10 your u12s i say young players as in your high school players your college players that are making these decisions based on what they're used to doing right you know when you come from being 15 and being able to run forever and then you get to the age of 18 to 20 and now you're in a position where you really have to start focusing on yourself as opposed to what's going on around you socially speaking what are some common mistakes that you see guys maybe in the high school scene or even early college year scene uh, making as far as their fitness and nutrition goes? Yeah, so I think it comes down to just a few factors, really. Um, eating, so nutrition, that's pretty obvious. I think that, honestly, most soccer players do know what they should be eating, but they consciously decide to eat otherwise, whether that be because that's what's on their plate at school or home, but they know what they should be eating. It's just that for whatever reason, they don't. Um, Sleep is a huge one, especially in the college and high school age ranges where soccer may or may not be the number one priority for that player, right? If you have an exam that's really, really big on a Monday morning, you're going to be studying all night, Saturday, Sunday. So that's another huge one. Um, Hydration is another key one. And This is one that I think is pretty easily fixable. But once you get into the college age where you have partying and drinking and things like that, it starts to become another issue. And then you also have lifestyle and stress management, too, where especially in the in the later high school and college age where you're really becoming your own adult and you're responsible for your own schedule, you're responsible for getting your own stuff done. That's a pretty big life change. So I think that's another big one there. Well, you know, and speaking on that, and when it comes to, and those are some really key points because, you know, having coached at a at a pretty decent level, you can see it. You can see the high school guys who, you know, don't have as much on their plate as a college athlete does, where they have to balance a lot more of outside of the classroom work than rather than inside the classroom work. And you do see it where even if they are making the effort, sometimes it's really hard to make that balance and find that, find that discipline. So if you could maybe in a couple of key points kind of give maybe some i don't want to say some some cheating tips or something along the lines of where you know maybe this is a a life hack of some kind where people could focus on doing xyz and even though it won't have a huge impact on how much time it's consuming maybe just a positive life change or two that somebody could be implementing on on their own life even if they are a busy college student Yeah, so I'll give you a few tips that I think um, I didn't play college soccer, but um, a few lifestyle tips that I used when I was in college to kind of help me navigate. Um, Number one was to carry a water bottle with me at all times. And it is a simple tip, but honestly, before the age of 20, I was probably dehydrated every single day. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, one of my coworkers who um, we were both peer advisors in college and she's like, you should carry a water bottle with you. I was like, huh, it's a good idea. Maybe I'll try that out. And ever since then, I've done that and I haven't had a hydration issue since. So that's one of the, the four issues we already talked about. Um, another tip that I found super helpful was to make a calendar. Um, I use my Google calendar on my phone and I'm able to keep track of everything because honestly, I'm extremely forgetful. So even a podcast like this, right? I went, when you sent me the invite, I said, okay, it's going in my Google calendar. I'm making a reminder to go off two hours before and 30 minutes before that way, even though I probably will forget it's out of my hands, it's going to remind itself, you know? So right. it's all about figuring like what you're not good at, good at and figuring out a way for a system to make up for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, those are ac actually excellent points. And, you know, I, I would challenge anybody to say that any of that is particularly time consuming. That might take you a couple minutes out of your day and just make your whole life just, just seemingly more simple off of just those more efficient ways of utilizing things. Now, let's focus on something that we find common. So not only in the college player scene, but also in the high school player scene, you do find Specifically, I would say in the U.S., there is a really nice presence of physios in the U.S., and there really is a really nice focus on how we approach the game uh, on, a, on a physical standpoint. However, the smaller the environment is and the smaller, I guess I would say the town is, sometimes you really find where kids aren't getting the correct lifting advice or maybe the correct workout advice. Thankfully, we have a lot of social media now that kind of mitigates some of that. But what are some, and, and I guess I would throw it out this way, where a lot of times we think bigger is better. So the bulkier I can get, the stronger I'll be, the harder I'll be to move off of the ball. What are maybe some workout mistakes, maybe some overexertion mistakes that you can see younger players or maybe even things that a younger player might not necessarily be doing but should seek to avoid most definitely? So I think one of the the bigger mistakes is not training with enough intensity in the weight room. Um, most players, I feel like when they go to the gym, they kind of go there to hang out and have a good time and, you know, maybe do a few leg extensions and a few squats and focusing a lot on the arms and the chest where you should most players for the majority of the year, they should be training with heavy weight and they should be training with low reps. And that should be done at a very consistent level throughout the, the season. That's going to change a little bit in the preseason and the offseason. But for the most part, that's what a player should be aiming to do. Another mistake players tend to, tend to do is to train muscles instead of movements. So an example of, okay, I'm going to do legs today, chest tomorrow, and back on Thursday. Right? Where you should really be training for movements that you're doing in your sport like squatting lunging pushing pulling things that can directly translate over to the game yeah and actually i think you hit on a really good subject there where people treat it like social hours sometimes right you know you show up to the gym and you're and you're hey oh hey what's going on and you're you're doing all this but that's not what you're there for so really time on task is another thing that a lot of people might struggle to maintain right and, uh, you know, and from my perspective as well, I do notice that a lot of times 
younger players take it for granted that you have a low body fat percentage just because your abs are showing. And I know you're you're a big advocate of this. Just because your abs are showing does not mean that you have a strong core. You should always be working that, right? Yes, sir. And <laughs> a low body fat percentage, it's the least of my my uh, my concerns because a lot of the times players who have that percentage are weak, especially at the younger age range. It's rare to find a 14-year-old with a six-pack that is truly strong on the ball and in the gym. Um, so you should really be trying to get as strong as you can. And again, we're not saying, you know, go get huge like a bodybuilder because that's another topic for another day. But make sure you're strong and resilient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's I, I guess that kind of translates into another thing that we wanted to talk about here, which was. Typically speaking, on a professional level, you find that you have a whole preseason ahead of you again. Thanks to Monsieur Wenger, you have a whole physio team behind you when you're a professional as well, and you get a really good preseason in, and you get a lot of workout in. You know, of course, people joke around and they call it, you know, hell week, hell month, whatever you want to, where you're really putting that work in. However, with this COVID scenario and with these lockdowns and the league restarts, players are really suffering from that, not in the way that somebody's going to overnight become a horrible player. That's not really what players were worried about when it came to this restart, they were really more worried of saying, hey, I haven't been putting in that high intensity workout and I'm really at risk here. And of course, as soon as that league, I wouldn't even say that league specific in Bundesliga, I believe was one of the first leagues to restart. But across the board, there were so many leagues where we just saw just legions of injuries because players were just being forced back inside these high intensity workouts. So what's your take on that? How do you feel about the fact that these players kind of went from, I don't want to say they were sitting at home, obviously you're a disciplined athlete, you're going to be working, but you're not getting the same level as you are when you're training with your physios and with your first team, right? So what's your take on that? Yeah, I always thought it was going to be an interesting transition because none of this was planned, right? We didn't stop the league in March and say, okay, we're going to resume on June 1st. It was always day to day, week to week. And even as the season is going on right now, it's still day to day. They could, like MLS, for example, they could say, okay, season stops, stops right now, go home. And there's no really plan for that. Um, and like you, I was really kind of expecting a ton of injuries. And that's kind of what we got with a lot of teams. But I was honestly a little bit surprised that these injuries really weren't um, as substantial as we thought they were going to be. Um, yes, players had two to three months at home. They were training what they could while, while they were home. They were doing a lot of what we call general preparatory training where they were just doing what they could with the equipment they had, doing some runs for endurance, um, some body weight strength training, things like that. And the clubs are working extremely hard to give each player their own individual programs with the equipment they had at home while still being, you know, focused on the end goal of returning to the field, which is really tough to do. So I think a lot of credit really goes to the backroom staff of doing everything they possibly could have to get these players back. Um, now, if you look at the numbers and you compare the number of injuries at the restart, compared to the the middle of the regular season, the numbers, yes, are higher. But if you compare them to the start of a normal season, they're pretty much on par. And now that the players 
are really, really in the gear of things, you're not seeing five subs for most teams anymore. You're seeing more players play 90 minutes, which means that now they're truly match fit. Yeah, and actually, that's a that's a good subject to hit on. It, you almost did get kind of a preseason vibe from most of the first couple weeks back for each league. And you can see when the Bundesliga was in full swing, the, the quality of games was so much higher than it was, let's say, with CDA when it first came back. A lot of nil-nil draws, nothing really crazy going about. But, you know, the, to speak to what you were just saying there, it's really clear that you can work out at home as much as you need to, but the importance of a good backroom staff is so evident in times like this, you know? So do you think that there were a lot less injuries because like you were just saying that backroom staff was working extremely hard to make sure that everybody was up to scratch as close as possible from what they were doing. I mean, I saw a ton of videos of clubs saying, Hey, here's this zoom workout we were doing where we had everybody dial in, to this video chat and we're all working out from home so conversely and of course this is really hard to say because we're not in the 90s right now we're in 2020 right now but before this modern football take before the sports science take on how football should be approached how much worse could you have seen that situation being if players weren't doing that at home if they were sinking pints at home as opposed to getting the at-home yoga weightlifting workouts in that they were doing. You know, how thankful should we be that the game is the modern game right now, not the past game? See, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because, like, let's say we, we took a time machine and we went back to the 90s. It would probably I be... I wish I had a good sound feed. I wish I had a good sound <laughs> machine effect, but I don't. Oh, <laughs> back to the hurt. future, right? <laughs> um. I think that, yeah, let's say we go back to the 90s. It would be pretty similar because back then the demands of the game were not as high, right? If you look at the the distance covered from the 90s to now, that's increased just a little bit. But if you look at the number of sprints, the number of distance at a high intensity, the number of accelerations, decelerations, that has gone through the roof. Like we're talking like 50% plus. Um, so the game was completely different back then. And you can kind of see this if you go on um, FIFA TV on YouTube, watch a 2002 World Cup game. It's slow. Players were slow. It was very free flowing. And yeah, it was good football, but physically it was a different game back then. Yeah. And, you know, actually that is a good point that you bring up that the game was slower back then. So, Hypothetically, I take the best team from 2002 and I have them play the best team of 2020. I mean, 2020's got to boss them off of the pitch. Like, there's no way that they're hanging for 90 minutes with guys who are this fit. See, that's where it gets tricky, but I can <laughs> confidently say if 2020 loses, it's not because of their physical capabilities. <laughs> that is an excellent <laughs> political answer. And I after you. <laughs> on that one nobody else can see this video chat but uh you know carrying forward from there you know it's mls is just getting restarted and you know we have this whole COVID scenario where everybody's watching everything down and, and people are training in smaller groups how important is it to have a proper workout you know if you're working in a group of four to one or some four let's say four players max solo at the lowest how important is it to have, 
first of all, somebody with a good knowledge of what they're doing, planning that training session, because it's really easy to get off, to off topic and off subject when you're doing a one-on-one -on -one training session. How much has sports science evolved in the way that you can have that special person there planning a, a one-person workout for you know an hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, and this is where sports science, the name is kind of funny because to me, it's more of an art. Um, it's on the surface, it appears like it's a lot of numbers, but when the coach has to, has to construct a session, it's, it's really an art form because you have to say, okay, we have player A who has this personality, who is friends with this person, who is um, easily motivated by factors X and Y and has this equipment available to them at this time of the day. It's almost like you're piecing together a puzzle. Um, so I think as coaches get more educated on communication and lifestyle management and things more in the soft skills nature, that's what really sets one apart from another. And that's what I think will make the difference to the player. All right. And, and that is actually a really great take on that situation. Usually we're full of hot takes on this podcast. And I think that was the most calculated take I've, I've heard in a little bit. So I, uh, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> I appreciate that. So kind of getting into the back end of things now, one of the more important when it came to this coach's corner scenario was that I wanted to talk about as well. And I know I didn't touch too much on this with you prior to but we have players such as and i could point to cristiano ronaldo who has kept himself extremely physically fit as he's gotten older getting into his mid-30s at this point and still competing at a high level and you have obviously players such as uh, Lionel messi who of course is still performing at a very high level so we see players playing into their mid to late 30s at a, at a higher level much more so than they used to be doing. How much of that do you think is down to proper fitness? How much of that do you think is down to them maybe eating correctly off of the field? What would you think is the biggest factor in that? Let's go with self-awareness. I okay. think that's a good one because that really, if a player is self-aware, then they're going to be cognizant of their sleeping, their hydration, their nutrition, their training, everything. And it does take players some years to, to develop that, right? So if you look at Sergio Aguero, for example, he, he's a baller and he stayed balling, right? But when Pep came into Manchester City, one of the things that he really dug into everyone was their diet. And in Argentina, right, it's very common for players to eat a lot of red meat. And Pep's squad at the time thought that that wasn't best for Sergio Aguero's career. And it was impacting his injuries and he should kind of wean off of that. And that was really big for, for Aguero to take in because that's fundamentally the way he eats. Mm -hmm. He bought into that method. And ever since then, like what, three, four years ago, very minimal injuries. Like he's, he has not let that impacted his physical style of game. I think that's self-awareness right there. Um, so as players grow, they develop. If they're able to do that, that's great. They'll stay in the game. If not, I think that's when injuries start to take their toll and players may phase out. So if you could speak a little more to that player awareness, though, players love to listen to watch videos, whatever you end up wanting to. I think it's vastly underrated the amount of effort that younger players put into learning from others around them. 
and I think that's not credited enough for a young player, is that I do find that a lot of them are consistently watching these training videos and all these different resources and trying to take in as much information as possible. But to your point, nothing gets the job done like holding yourself accountable for what your progress should be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot different to watch a video on a healthy diet and training, and it's a completely another thing to go ahead and do that consistently for years. Um, and I think that's where most players, um, that's where the difference is made for most players. Absolutely. And so, yeah, as, as we continue to wind down this episode, I do have to put, I do have to put you on a spot here. So I do love a good rapid fire session where okay. I ask you a, a, a bunch of questions, some related to what we're talking about, some related to just football in general. Actually, most related to football in general. I'm going to be honest with you. There might be one question on here that actually has to do with physio. So okay. I like <laughs> but, it. All right. So, you know, let's 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 go with this. It's only a handful of questions. So you let me know when you're ready for them. Let's do it. Okay. Favorite position on the pitch? CDM. Favorite kit number? Six. Blue kit or red kit? Blue. Mbappe or Rashford? Mbappe. Bundesliga or Serie A? Bundesliga. Zidane or Iniesta? Iniesta. Okay. Push and pull days or chest and back days, etc. Push and pull. I like it. Okay, like I said, that was easy. No I love that. I love that. Yo, special <laughs> shout out, man. Iniesta deserves a Ballon d'Or. I don't know how he didn't get one. Oh, it's criminal. You know, any player that's had a career... And, uh, you know, and just kind of talking general football here, any player that's had a career over the past 20 years has just had the unfortunate instance of being alive during probably, arguably, two of the best players to ever grace the game being <laughs> in their prime. <laughs> how hard, how unbelievable. I mean, Frank Ribery, treble, excellent season. 2013, he couldn't even get a sniff at the Ballon d'Or, right? Yep, yep. I think that one ended up going to Cristiano. I, I, it's just, it's madness, you know? Uh, you know, but I actually I did not ask you this prior to, and and I don't want to get too off subject. But what is your favorite club? So I got I got three, oh, which, all right. which is a lot. Um, right. And I'll tell you, you I'll tell you a little story. And this is how I I got into the game of soccer. Um, when I was in high school, my one of my cousins from Haiti he came over to the states to live with me, and he was watching soccer one day. I was and I was like, oh, what team are you watching? He's like, oh, Real Madrid. And I was like, huh. Who's their uh, their biggest rival? And I was like, uh, and then he was like, uh, Barcelona. I was like, uh -huh. okay, that's my squad right there. I want to know who's <laughs> on that team. I want to know everything. So I was learning about the squad. And the first game I ever watched was the 5-0 Classico in 2010. Oh, boy. <laughs> so ever since then, I was hooked. So I'm watching that season and then um, into the winter, Barcelona plays Arsenal in the Champions League. And I'm like, man. This team is balling. They play like Barcelona, except they're not Barcelona. I want to watch these guys too. So um, started watching Arsenal after that. And then um, Thierry Henry, Red Bulls. I'm from New Jersey, so I love them too as well. There you go. I mean, that's it. That is a very, you know, as far as, as picking arguably one of the better teams to ever grace the game, you know, in Barcelona, all the way down to where the Red Bulls are, unfortunately, because, you know, MLS, unfortunately, <laughs> is not at the level that Barcelona is at. So I do have to ask you, how much did it hurt to be in first place in La Liga supporting Barcelona 
only for Real Madrid to lift the title at the end of the season. You know what? And this this is where my, my salty side is going to show a little bit, which is okay. <laughs> We're at the end of the episode. You know, for Real Madrid to win a title, we had to have two managerial changes. Um, <laughs> this thing called VAR has to be off the walls, and we had to have a pandemic. So if that's what it means to get one league title after, what, seven, eight years, then you know what? Maybe, maybe they are the best in Spain, but we'll see next year. So if you're a Barcelona fan, I mean, Leo Messi has to be the best player of all time for you, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. Number one ever. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I I actually do end up having a little bit of friction with my co-host usually on that one because he does love Ronaldo. Uh, I am a huge Lionel Messi fan. Just for me, I don't even care who comes who comes to me after whatever episode about anything we were talking about. Leo Messi is the best to ever play the game for me. And it's just it's not even science based. We were just talking science the whole time. It's not science based. It's it's just factual. You just there's no comparing him to anybody else in the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and talk about the physical side of the game. I remember what was it two three years ago, man of the match performance against Real Madrid scored a goal with his shoe off, and you look <laughs> at the physical stats for that game. I think he was walking for ninety seven percent of it. <laughs> it's incredible. Like there's all this sports science, and he go and does something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, you can't coach what he has. I think that's the best way to phrase it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you move out of his way, let him do him. Yeah, you just let him do what he has. So, look, we are over the time that we were planning on doing this just by a hair, which isn't too bad. And I have to say, this has been one of the more informative episodes that we've done. So, Andy, while we're signing off, again, let people know how they can get in touch with you. Thank you so much for being on. Why don't you go ahead and sign off on your side? Yeah, so if you want to find me on Instagram, that's probably the easiest. It's at the football physios, football with a U. And yeah, you can just send me a DM and I'll be able to answer you. And again, as always, I'm your host, Tim Camaraj. You can catch me on Twitter at Footy Kuji. You can catch me on Instagram at Coach Kuji. Always happy to talk football with anyone. Super stoked that we just finished this first episode of the Coach's Corner. Hopefully we get this shared around a bit and we get some more cool guests on, but that's it. See you guys later.